What is up, podcast listeners? Yep, you guessed it. Another amazing episode of the Matt Baxter Show with your boy, Matt Baxter. And guess what? I have another phenomenal guest, Dr. Rob Bell. He is the author. He's a he he is an author. He is the author of Puke and Rally. He's an executive coach. He's spoken worldwide. He's spoken in front of thousands and thousands of people. But more importantly, he's been an amazing, amazing mentor, leader, and coach for pro athletes around the world. Specifically, a lot of uh, uh, pro coaching around golfing, where he's had a huge impact of a bunch of players um, that are uh, making a great run in the world today. So, Rob, thank you for the impact that you have. Thank you for the man that you are. This podcast is amazing. If you're interested in leadership, leadership coaching, uh, or just what it's like to be mentally tough. This is definitely a podcast for you. Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Rob, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Yeah, Matt, appreciate it, man. Uh, fired up. I think we've got a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun conversations. Got to give much love and a shout out to Berta, who is the original introduction between you and I. You and I had an awesome chat the first time we uh, we spoke, we had a little book exchange, which I know we're going to get into. But um, seriously, I'm fired up. Much love to Berta for making the introduction. Absolutely. I, I love connectors like that too, man. I think we definitely need them in, in life. It's huge. And it's, it's w- one of the coolest things is like somebody like Berta is so wickedly good at it that you can tell that she has like, hey, you guys will just like get along. And then there's a deeper layer of that. And the fun is you and I go on this little treasure hunt to figure out what that is and whether we found it or it's, it's, it's a decade long of finding it. She's just smart enough to put two, well, at least one awesome person, one trying to be awesome person together. So fired up for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point, man. That, that's why it's a gift. I think when people are able to, you know, to, to screen people for you, right. And just know it's going to be good connection. That's exactly right. Well, I'm, I'm stoked uh, to dive in more about you, your background, your story. There's a lot to talk about. So I guess without you know, kind of further ado, give me the uh, give me the background, give me your life, give me the story, give, give me give me everything you got. We'd love to hear more about you. Yeah, man, absolutely. So uh, sports was my entire life growing up. It's it's basically all I ever did and was ever really good at. So I went to a Division two school in my mind to play baseball. I thought my eighty four mile an hour fastball was going to get me to the major leagues. My myopic viewpoint at this, and then on my way to college probably like my junior year in high school, I really discovered this thing called partying. And if that was a grade, Matt, I would have gotten an A in it because I just, I'm I'm an all or nothing guy, right? And I get to college and it's like, wait a minute, I can have partying and baseball and no accountability. Like what, what could possibly go wrong, right? And so as a freshman at this division two school, for some reason. And whenever I'm talking like to universities, I'll tell the students nothing good happens after midnight. And this was obviously after midnight. And in, in this school in West Virginia, it was near this bridge about where we were partying and near this bridge was a cliff. I ended up walking off an 80 foot cliff. I, I hit once and then I'm just laying at the bottom of this crevasse. I fractured my back, broke my arm, big gaping head wound. And they have to crane me up out of it and take me to the hospital where, you know, I'm, I was so lucky to be alive, but my mom was a nurse at that hospital. And so if you can picture this, this happens on a Friday. I'm alive, thankful to be alive. She's, and she's the oldest of nine Catholic family. 
no sympathy on me whatsoever, man. She sends me back to school on Monday. I was about and to that, say, that's one of those get up boy, rub some dirt on it. You're fine. That's it, man. Well, she had known, you know, she had known where my partying grade had, had sort of taken me and where it was going to yeah. take me. And, you know, she had done all she could, but at that point it was just like, look, man, if you want to, you know, basically kill yourself, then there's nothing I'm going to be able to do. But like, you're not going to be done doing under my roof sort of thing. And, uh, as I get back to school, limping into uh coach's office and then, um, baseball was over. I mean, that was it. You know, God was looking out for me, but baseball was it. And, and then I was completely lost and now I'm walking around campus and now I'm that guy, right? Like nobody wants to be that guy. The one that everybody's pointing at saying, that's the guy right there. That's the guy that fell off the cliff. But now I'm that guy at the school. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And now I always say like in every misfortune is fortune, like in every bad situation, some good is going to come out of it. And if it wasn't for that, I probably would not have taken that psychology class then that uh, end of my freshman year. And that class right there changed my life because it was really tattooed in my heart. I want to do this for a living. Like I want to work with athletes, coaches, and teams on mental toughness, helping them perform their best when it matters the most. And then also being able to help them cope, deal, and handle with the struggle and adversity. I had no idea what it looked like at the time, but I just knew that was the tattoo that I got. And it, it was a blessing because who knows where that path would have, would have taken me. It would have taken me to death eventually, but and Lance Armstrong always had this quote and kind of whatever you think about it. But uh, if you ever get a second chance of life, you got to go all the way. And when I got to grad school, I knew I was given a second chance and I wasn't going to blow it. And I went to uh, Temple University for a master's and then uh, University of Tennessee for, for a doctorate in sports psychology. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was a professor for about five years running a sports psych program. And then I was I was no longer happy, and then I just completely left academia and started my own business, and that was 2011. Since then, I've been fortunate enough to work with just athletes, professional athletes, all different sports. Uh, I've had different winners on the PGA Tour, USTA national champion, Olympic medalists. Um, you know, worked with tons of executives, and I just you know feel fortunate to do what I love to do, man, and and that's being able to coach and just help people get to where they want to go and. And I write books in the middle, man, and, and just like you have a podcast and just try to make the world a better place and be able to share the ideas and help people get to where they want to go. Well, first off, I mean, thank you for the uh, the authenticity and the transparency about that part of the story. Obviously, you know, that it, it helps kind of know deeper into who you are, but certainly uh, it's a part that wasn't probably the easiest portion of your life. And so I, I thank you for sharing it. I if you're all right with it, I'd love to ask a couple questions related to kind of literally falling off that cliff. Do it, man. Were you uh, <laughs> were you pretty intoxicated when that happened? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I was partying, no, no question. So I, I mean, so when, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was about to say when you when you were falling off that, I mean, what do you remember any of the thoughts that were coming out of your head as you were falling? Yeah, I mean, I was conscious during the whole time, and I, I kind of just remember, you know, I, again, I didn't jump, I wasn't pushed, I just had just walked off. Yeah. And I remember hitting once and when I hit once, I hit my head and then, and then I'm laying at the bottom of it. And I just remember the feeling. And if I really get in touch with it, I can remember that feeling today of, of just actually falling and hitting. Goodness. Um, man, I mean, obviously 
praise God that you're still alive today. Certainly it was a, a wake up call and sometimes it's don't always come in the ways that we want them to. But, uh, I mean, what a, what a, what a, I mean, amazing gift of God, the fact that you're still here. So I, I mean, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for sharing yeah, that. Absolutely, man. So, so you're, you're knocked out of sports literally. And now you're taking a psychology class. So what, what sort of, uh, came out in you? What was new? What was like just this, wow, I'm, this is changing the perspective of the direction that I want to change in life during that first psychology class. Was it the class itself? Was it just the quote unquote new you? Was it the bandage you and you were looking for something? What what kind of changed during that class? Yeah. And I really wish I could say, well, my life just totally changed at that moment. It did change, um, but I didn't quite get it together then either because now I'm in a lot of physical pain and a lot of emotional pain being an embarrassment not want to even go to my hometown because it's like, you know, how could you, how could you screw up like that? And it was the class itself because I just found something that I was so dialed into and I just wanted to learn everything I could about the the mind and the human experience and in peak performance. That's what it started driving me. And, you know, just, I, I still keep in touch with the professor today because I, I just call him, you know, these, these hinge moments that happen in our life. And this was a hinge person connected me to who I was going to become. And that, that love, was the biggest part. I love that. And um, so where, so essentially you kind of found it in that class, took the path of going to get it. You said Temple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. University that you went, went through kind of master's program. So at what point sort of mentally did you make the shift? And maybe you didn't. So I, I don't want to assume this, but I, I think you did. At what point did you make the shift from like, me to them in the sense of like you were athlete thinking you could go play pro good athlete in college whatever it may be to then all of a sudden you like serve and walk alongside some amazing world-class athletes today so at what point did that kind of transition or pendulum shift happen to be like i want to be the greatest version of myself which you still are today but now like my that greatest version of myself is serving others how did that kind of shift and walk me through kind of the mentality of that yeah that's a great great question i think it's a great question because that's a process as well and I would like to say when I got into the field, now I'm always kind of kind hearted. I think I've been a benevolent person, but that part about being able to focus on others did not happen 100% the way it needed to happen until I was well into my professional career. And that only happened in a race. And if you allow me a little latitude, it was a half Ironman that I was doing. I had not trained for this half Ironman at all. This race was in two weeks. I borrowed somebody's bike in order to do this race. And, you know, it was all ego driven because all I, all I know in life is that if you just keep moving, you'll finish. And that's all I had to do is just keep moving in that race. So this in the half Ironman is a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then 13.1 mile run. If the swim goes fine, I'm at mile 30 on the bike and I get a flat tire. I get up to the top of this hill and again, I haven't ridden a bike in about 10 years. I'm borrowing somebody's bike. I had nothing to change the tire and it's at the top of this hill as racers are cresting the hill and then they're taking off. I'm wondering how am I going to get this bike in because I'm like, my race is done. And as I'm thinking that another racer pulls over and asks me, do you have anything to change your tire? And I said, I don't have anything. And he kind of reaches back and he unzips his little pouch and he tosses me the air cartridge and a, and a tube. 
and it was a Disney moment. Like I'm waving to him saying like, I'm never going to forget you. And now what? Right. Highly stressful environment. Going to try and change a bike tire that I haven't ridden in 10 years. And as I'm thinking that another racer pulls over and asks me, do you know what you're doing? And I said, I have no idea. This other competitor, mind you, gets off his bike, walks over to me and says, well, let's get you fixed. And it was that moment, Matt. It was that moment that I ended up finishing the race. But when I would tell people what happened, the only question that would go through my head is, Rob, would you have stopped? Up to that point in my life, the answer was no, I would not have stopped. I wouldn't even have thought about stopping. But once this individual stopped his own race to help me, an idiot, somebody not prepared to handle the situation, then I discovered and then my whole life started changing about uh, being able to focus on others and how focusing on others is how we help ourselves out at the same time. See, that was the that was the big paradox in life, right? We never leave a volunteer situation really saying, boy, those kids are just so lucky that I was here to help them out, right? We, we never say that. We say the opposite. We say those kids helped me out more than I helped them. They gave us perspective. They gave us gratitude. And to answer the question to take the Magellan-type route to get there, it was that moment that I realized that the essence of how no one gets there alone and how the whole mind shift about what it was that I needed to do in order to be able to help people and to focus on people. I mean, what a, what a, what an amazing story. And you kind of only hear story like that. And like, I mean, obviously there's the biblical term of the Samaritan story and you hear those and right. you don't really actually hear those in act in truly real life, kind of that dramatic, not dramatic in a bad way, but just like that true. And, and I mean, what an impact and what a, tangible thing that you can take and, and say like, what a life changing moment. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, I, I stop and think about that too. I don't, it's one of those things that like, <laughs> I'll be fully transparent. Would I stop probably if other people were watching sort of thing? Sure. Cause it's like, it's like, you know, am I fully in a spot where what I do to help is fully to help or am I doing it? Cause I like the feeling, I like the feeling of other people seeing that. And so it's just, I mean, what an amazing mentality and mind shift for you to have gone through. So I, that's amazing. And it took, it took one of those moments though, for me to, to, for me to change. Um, so now in your work today, you're coming alongside as a guide, a coach, a mentor, uh, in so many different ways for some of the most like literally world-class athletes. How did this get started? Like actually how did, where, where did this begin? And sort of what is a day in the life of, of Rob when it comes to working with some of the greatest athletes worldwide? What does that look like? Oh, well, I mean, I, I guess the second part, I mean, it's, it's literally just being able to meet them wherever they are, if that's going to be somebody that's, that's on their journey, on their path. I mean, it, it's about meeting them where they are, but helping them get to where they want to go. And I just think that's the power of a coach. So, I mean, I'm going to have sessions I love the one-on-one sessions. Um, I'm going to have sessions all week long and, you know, working on the next book right now. So that always entails uh, one hour of writing every day. Um, I love competing myself. So that involves training every day and it's the discipline and the, and, you know, with the, the family that uh, takes up the rest of my time. 
And, um, and I don't mean even takes it up, but that I means that's where I want to invest my time with, with those endeavors right there. So that's what like the day looks like. Doesn't vary that often, man. Doesn't vary that much. Cause I'm a routine guy. And only if I'm traveling or speaking or traveling to an event, does that part change a little bit, but that's, that's the essence of what I do, man. I love that. And so how do you balance? Like, I mean, how have you grown up? uh in sort of your coaching experience from going from okay you're an athlete and you know some things that you just got to do so coming along somebody who said like i, I love what you said of you know your, your job is to help them know where, where they are and help them to where they want to go i mean i love that attitude how do you kind of balance like sometimes people just need to hear the raw difficult like this is reality and sometimes they need to arrive at the conclusion themselves how do you balance sort of dealing those two dichotomies that aren't always the same well, I, I think that's a great, great point, man, because it, it is, it's about being able to meld that. And that's why I certainly don't give my services away for free. I mean, the reason why, uh, you know, I charge what I do and I'm expensive for what I do is because they're paying me for my honest opinion and I don't do anyone justice to, um, not give, not be completely honest and completely transparent with them. And that's, that's tough to accept, right? Because one, you have to reach that point that, okay, this is somebody that can help me and I have to be able to trust them, you know, completely that they are going to be honest with me. And that's, that's just part of the relationship, man. And, you know, how do they come to it on their own? Well, eventually everyone comes to it on their own. Um, it's just, are we taking the path of, you know, no can do or, or yes, I can. I always think that yes, I can is sort of that highway that no can do is, is, visiting every back road that we can take to that destination. It just takes a whole lot longer, man. But we all come to that point. How do we do it as a coach? It's just being able to ask good questions. Good questions, you're going to get good answers. And I think the better questions that you can ask, it allows them to be more introspective and to think about things more. Um, let me ask the uh, let me ask the obvious sort of corny question, but I think it's a good one. Uh, what what is something that you found in your coaching experience that all high performers have in common, or what would be one or two or three disciplines, or or you know similar personality traits or whatever? What what, what do you see similarly across the board, repetitively? So I think a couple different things. One. Um, it doesn't matter one's personality. You can be in any, any kind of personality, you can be successful. And I think that's really important. I think people will try and pigeonhole, well, that's just a natural born leader. Yeah. I mean, you can have different traits like that, but when it comes to success, and I always say, look, everyone's an athlete. Our office is just different. I think we have an athlete mentality today. So, but what are the couple common themes that I see? One they're willing to go alone. Now, I mean, they're willing to practice alone. Like they don't necessarily need, like if they're not going to be able to get a ride, they're still going to find a way to get to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going to find a way to be able to practice. Now, they're not doing the whole journey alone, of course. I'm not quite saying that. What I'm saying is, is they will find a way to get in their work, to get in their reps, to get in their preparation. They're looking for, they're, they're not looking for an excuse out of it. They're looking for an excuse into it. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Uh, the other thing that I've seen, and this is going to be from the best, from the best that they, they're obsessed. Matt, there's no other way to say it. All right. If you had a clinical diagnosis of somebody that was obsessed 
look at the best athletes of all time, they're obsessed because you don't get to get to that level without being obsessed. You just really don't, you know, it, it has to, now they don't really look at it like obsessed. Do they look at it as in preparation, but they realize like how, um, the thin line between success and failure at, at the highest level. And they're obsessed with their preparation. And that's one thing that I noticed. And then the other, I'll probably say this, man, you know, an obsessed, stubborn, like they're stubborn to a point, like meaning like they know what their laurels are. They know what their base and their foundation is. And I'd say at the same time, the best remain coachable. They still have that thirst, that desire to get better, to learn, to improve in any different kind of area, like in their life. So they're stubborn, yet they're coachable. Those are the, those are the couple of characteristics that I see, especially with mental toughness. And then one more, if if we want to look at another, I think they're able to make adjustments. I think champions adjust. Uh, We, we talk about plan on your plan, not going according to plan. (laughs) Well, that, that requires that you're going to be able to have to adjust. Right. I mean, if you look all, at it, all, all, pl- all plans are good until you actually have to put them into action. <laughs> uh, amen, man. We, we talk about like theory and practice are exactly the same, but in practice they're different. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're nothing the same. So it's like, we, we talk about a sailboat being off course 99% of the time. Yeah. How, how do they find the destination? Well, they're tacking, man. They're making adjustments. So those sort of characteristics that I see uh, are, are pretty common throughout. Do you think that makes up like 80% of, of who top performers are 90%, 95%? I mean, what, what, what do you see? And this is kind of a, a, I guess a little bit of an arbitrary question, but I guess my question becomes is like athletes who kind of fit, let's say they do all those, but you know, then they're just as good as all the other ones who do all the same things. How much of it is like a little bit of their own variability or their own style, their own flavor. That's 10% or 20% or 30% of their makeup where the rest is kind of sticking to that formula. what, does that make sense? I know that's a little bit of an arbitrary question, but yeah, and it's a great question, man. Because here's the difficulty about it, right? If I say, if I was to ask any listener, like, go ahead and name some of the best basketball players of all time. Well, they're going to name the same names. We're going to name the same names. Can they? Can they go twenty names deep? Like, at what point does that sort of drop off? You know what I'm yep. saying? So, follow with me on this. So. If we talk about, if, if I use Tiger Woods as an example, if I use Kobe Bryant as an example, if I use Mia Hamm as an example, it's the same thing as using Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk as the model of this is like the ultimate success. But the problem with that is those are such extreme outliers that you, we're not even kind of looking at the same sort of a playing field, you know what I mean? Cause they're so out there in terms of, you know, their success and what they've done, but we still use them as the comparisons. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's so, it's so I mean, so let me, let me double click on that real quick. It, it's one of those things that like, I don't want to discount Elon Musk. I don't want to discount Jeff Bezos, but like a little bit of part of their story. And, and I've even heard these guys admit it is sometime was just the timing of them entering the market. I mean, they are, world-class wealth they got to that position once you're in that position you can continue to press it and i'm not saying they're not remarkably world-class literally the best of the best talented at what they're doing but elon will come back and say he's not necessarily the most disciplined person 
but yet discipline is a requirement for being that successful in a lot of different ways. And so I, I like that you sort of call out like the examples we use are such extremes and everybody talks about like, and I live it in a little different world. Well, you know, just because I'm not going to make, make the next, next Facebook doesn't mean I can't have a nice exit. Well, chances are you won't, and you really shouldn't try to make the next Facebook. Like, but at, 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 anyway, so I, I totally can understand where you're getting at. So keep rolling with it. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, because it's a great point. So one, we got to be able to look at, well, what's the comparison? What's the models? And then you can answer the question. Okay, well, buddy, I think it gets back to about 90% of knowing what your recipe is and knowing what it takes for you to be successful because the person that we're always competing against is ourselves and our own mind. And how do we continue to get better? It's, it's that they're so in love with the process and with getting better that the results literally take care of themselves and the results do not define that person. Like they're really so in love with that. Now, if you put all those together, doesn't matter what the field is, I'll show you somebody that's successful. So what process are you in love with? Oh man, I love, I love writing. I love going one hour a day. And th- I mean, I got that one from like John Grisham, right? That's how John Grisham wrote his. I'm like, well, I can do one hour a day. Cause I was a horrible writer, man. Horrible. Until I got to grad school. Now you have to be a good writer. Yep. You should have seen some of those papers, man. <laughs> but I love the process of writing one hour every day. I also love the process of, I love ultra marathons. So, I mean, I did a hundred miler last year. And I'll, I'll do several throughout the year. I love the process of getting up on a Saturday morning and being at the trailhead at 530 when it's dark with my chocolate lab who loves to run and getting after it in the silence and the stillness and then, you know, getting better at the same time. That Those are the processes that I really love to do and just really engages me, man. I love that. So um, what's... Uh you get the chance to leave the mark in some amazing, amazing, amazing people. If, if all those people spoke at your funeral and they came back and they said, Rob, uh, Dr. Rob did this for me, or they impacted this for me, or they changed, he, he, he changed this for me or challenged me in this way. What would you, if you could write that script, what would you want that to be? I'd want to say, that I'm a better person because of, because of Rob Bell. I think that would be the yep. best, that would be the best sort of compliment. And I think it varies in terms of everybody, but if people can say I'm a better person because of him. And I think that's what we should all really say, but I think that's, that's what I would like to hear. Yep. I love that. I love that. So my favorite question of the whole planet is, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What's, what's driving you to be you? What's driving you to, uh, I mean, obviously you mentioned kind of the process of waking up on a Saturday morning, grinding that out, but like, you know, for, for who you are every single day, what is, uh, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And it's a great question, man, because I love getting out of bed and, um, I love the process of just getting after it. I really do. I mean, I love the dog mentality, man, whether it's training, whether it's writing, whether it's, you know, working with people because we could be. And that's the part I'm just obsessed with, man. It's like, what is the day going to bring that's going to be exciting? And um, I love work. I really do, man. It's like, you know, if you, if you call me up and be like, look, Rob, hey, do you want to go play golf 18 holes? And then the next day, like, let's chop wood. Yes. Just because I love to do that stuff. You know, I love 
uh, any, any sort of like physical activity, man, where we get to be outside and, and do it. Um, I wish it was more profound, man. I wish I could really say like, it's that, you know, reaching Zen, but that just being able to get after it is what gets me up and out of bed. And, you know, ha- I think has the gratitude and perspective all tied in there. Um, yeah, I love know, that. I-, I say this one too. It's like our why changes. So like my why is not the same as what it was in 2016. And my why now, especially with the kids, man, it's being able to model that, you know, we hear that anything is possible. Well, when they see their dad running a hundred miles, you know, and puking in the race and still being able to finish, gets me a little bit of street cred with them by being able to say, um, you know, do you want, do you want to quit? You know? And then, you know, kind of you joke around with that stuff and like, no, then no, I don't want to quit. Well then stay after it. Like keep getting better. And yeah, though it's just those things, man. And um, I love learning, and I love that process. That's uh, that's such a good word. Um, one of the things I also want want you to do is uh, give, give give the listeners a little little uh, lowdown on your recent book because I think the title is one of the most amazing titles of all time. But give uh, give a little cheap plug for your book. So, are we talking about puke and rally? We're talking about puke and rally. Okay, man. Yeah, puke and rally. It's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. And that is all on, look, every single one of us has puked. We're all going to puke, but what does it really take to rally? And it's not a book on, you know, run until you puke, although that was like my experience and that's how the title came to be. But it's like, look, man, we're, we're all going to have these puke moments, you know, fired, bankruptcy, writer's block, being told you're not good enough. We all go through this. How is it that we rally and what are the important components that we have to have? And then my next book is going to be coming out. Uh, it'll be done by the end of this year, man. Writing one hour every day. That book. I love. You want me to? You want me to release that one? Oh, I mean, whatever you feel comfortable with. Would oh love, yeah, would no love, problem, man. Love no. the listeners to get that. Yeah, man. I've already got it copyrighted, so we're good to go. <laughs> that would be funny, right? I, I let the title out, and then someone goes and, yeah, and somebody comes in and you know swoops it up. Yeah. <laughs> so the title is "Is I Can't Wait to Be Patient," hmm. and. This is a book that is going to be how the process, even though the, the product is important, the process is more important. It takes nothing away from the product, but I can't wait to be patient is going to be on that, that concept of time and how do we focus on the process? I love that. And uh, one of my, I had an uncle who was a goofball and he used to say, take your time or hurry up sort of thing whenever we were playing like board games and mm-hmm. somebody's taking a long time to give that turn. It's kind of the opposite. It's like, you know, hurry up to take your time sort of thing. It's, uh, I, I love that word. That's awesome. Um, so for, for anybody that wants to follow along with what you got going on, uh, read more about the books, uh, maybe reach out to you about coaching, whatever, whatever it may be, what's the best way for them to follow along, get in touch, or just learn more about you? Yeah, man, my website, drrobbell.com, just all one word, D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L. And that's my Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. So anybody can find me. Anywhere there. If uh, if it's just puke and rally, it's pukeandrallybook.com. Dig it. Love it. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You're the man. I can't you know, thank you enough for the influence that you have in so many people's lives. And thanks for even taking a little bit of time to hang out with me today. I uh, appreciate you, Matt. Thanks, buddy. You 
you just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.